It's your Tuesday, Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys all back for another day. Good show coming up today. Here's a little rundown. Andrew Kramer joins me here in a little bit. Talk Vikings. Film review a little bit from this last game against Chicago. Although, what did we really learn from a game where the Bears seemed as interested in losing as they did in anything else, trying to secure that number one overall draft pick, which they did, by the way. So that was probably the best strategy for them in a lost season. But hard to glean a whole lot from the Vikings. But some 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 things from that game that were important, and Andrew Kramer and I will get into that, and more importantly in the context of Sunday's upcoming game, playoffs, 3.30 against the Giants. My least favorite team is my favorite team, back for its final regular season edition. Some Vikings poetry, of course, as part of that. Um, and we'll get to the college football playoff blowout at the end of the show as well. I didn't get really get into the college football season this year, didn't really get into that game much at all, and for good reason. And uh, I've got a few thoughts on where the future of college football is headed. First, though, what did I miss? It's now been exactly four weeks since Carlos Correa agreed to a 13-year, $350 million contract with San Francisco Giants. Making Twins fans all around the state, all wherever Twins fans are, making the Twins themselves disappointed that they lost out in free agency. Correa, of course, playing for the Twins last year, had a very good season. Um, the Twins contending for a while before fading in the very weak AL Central. <clears throat> now, four weeks ago, that's when that happened. About a week after that, things started to fall apart with that deal because of the medical stuff with Carlos Correa that we're now, of course, very familiar with, has become a very big talking point. That deal falls through. Correa ends up agreeing to a deal with the Mets, um, 12 years, $315 million. Again, twins not in the conversation, or at least not in the final uh, the final stages of that, him picking two other teams. Now, Three weeks almost removed from that point, he is still not signed, and now multiple reports. Again, Friday there were some reports that were suggesting that things were starting to pick up with the Twins. Now uh, multiple reports suggesting those talks are picking up even more steam. And my question to you is this. What are the optics and what are the practical realities of what if Carlos Correa does wind up back with the Twins? A couple of things I have to think about with that. Number one, if the Giants and the Mets, who have way more money than the Twins and have presumably had better injury history, at least in 2022, are scared about Correa's ankle and the long-term health of that ankle, that gives me a lot of trepidation about the Twins going full force and signing Correa. Now, <clears throat> kind of depends, I guess, on what the terms of the dealer, uh, deal are, kind of depends on what they ultimately land with. But that gives me a lot of concern because the Twins are not a team that can afford to miss on a player like Carlos Correa. The Mets, they can miss on a guy like Carlos Correa. They've got enough salary slots, enough enough payroll, enough money from owner Steve Cohen that they can miss on a guy like that and still feel the competitive team, feel like they're not going to be you know, hamstrung and not be able to do anything in the future. The Twins can't miss on a guy like Carlos Correa. So if you sign Carlos Correa, wind up, he winds up getting hurt, that is going to be a big problem for you for years to come. Number two, what are the optics of signing a player who has A, spurned you twice now for the Giants and the Mets, and B, has then, you know, had those deals fall through because of medicals? If you sign him, 
It feels like a consolation prize at this point and a risky one at that, as opposed to if you had signed him at the beginning of free agency or if you had outbid everybody or if he had truly wanted to be here. You really have to question if Carlos Correa does wind up in a Twins uniform, does he really want to be here or is this just the third best deal or the team that would take him given his medical concerns? I know he was a, a, a clubhouse favorite. I know people liked him. I know a lot of that. that People would probably get over it pretty fast because he is. He would be a coup to a certain degree in terms of guys like this don't usually come here. But I would worry a little bit about the optics and does he really want to be here and how does that look if he does indeed come here. Now, a long way to go to get there. Sounds like the Mets still have a shot to get him. It's, it, the negotiations continue. You never know what of this is real, what of this is posturing from teams, from agent Scott Boris, who is always going to try to get his guy the most money in the in the market that he wants to go to. So to be continued on a lot of this, of course, but I just worry about some of these things. I know the Twins have money to spend. I know they don't necessarily have other targets in mind to spend this money, so I get it from that standpoint that maybe this is their best option. I just worry about not only the optics of it, but the reality of it if this does indeed happen and some of this reporting is in fact true. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake where every day is play day. Happy to be joined today by Andrew Kramer, covers the Vikings, of course, for the Star Tribune. We do a film review every Tuesday, and the some bigger than others, Andrew, this week we're talking about the Vikings and looking ahead to a playoff game. We've known for a long time that they were going to be in the playoffs. We finally know their opponent now will be the New York Giants, a team they defeated just a few weeks ago, albeit narrowly at U.S. Bank Stadium. Um, Andrew, maybe to departure a little bit on this segment from what we usually do in that a lot of times we'd look back at what happened in the previous game, kind of some some things to glean from that. Not a ton probably to glean from a game against the Bears where it looked like the Bears were pretty interested in losing and maybe trying to get the number one overall pick, which they did get. Um, and the Vikings were you know trying to fine tune some things, um, but, but were pretty pretty sure that they were going to wind up as the three seed anyway, as they did when San Francisco won their game. But I guess spinning this forward to this playoff matchup against the Giants, Andrew, what, what do we, what do we think about particularly the offensive line and now going against this team for a second time, but no Brian O'Neill and un, unsure exactly of who's going to line up at center. And, and that that's a problem against a team like the Giants, which we've been talking about for a while now. Yeah, it might end up being Chris Reed, who made his first NFL start at center. He was a veteran guard, but he'd made all of those starts uh, at guard for other teams. And so it's not ideal. It's not the way you want it if you're the Minnesota Vikings. But um, they are holding out hope that Garrett Bradbury can come back to practice this week, that his back can respond well to that. And if so, he could play on Sunday, but it's not something they're banking on. I talked to Ezra Cleveland. Uh, at Soldier Field yesterday after the game. And he mentioned that um, we got to move forward with Chris and, and pretend like it's going to be Chris because we just can't bank on Garrett right now. And that work that they got Sunday in Chicago in the first half was so vital because it could be the only work that that starting group gets together or the longest work they get together before that playoff game. And that's, again, not the way they drew it up. It is their fourth different offensive line combination in the last seven games, I believe. And that's after 
the starters had made it together from training camp all the way through the first 10 games of the season. Uh, it was going really well for them. And, and it's just fallen apart with one hit after another. The good news is when you look at this Giants matchup, I think it's a pretty good one in terms of they do have some stout players up front and they're very blitz happy. But as we saw on Sunday, Kirk's pretty good against that. They can move the ball. They can throw the ball. That, that was the game where Hawkinson and Jefferson each had 12 catches. Um, Hawkinson was the leading, leading receiver in that game right up until the very end on the final drive where Jefferson had some big plays, including the screen to set up a 61-yard field goal. So they narrowly beat the Giants, but the offense was looking pretty decent. And so I feel like in a playoff atmosphere, um, that's that's something you're going to want to bank on again. And I think their offense will look much better, certainly, than it did uh, in Green Bay two weeks ago. And did we, I mean, offensive line-wise, you talked a little bit about continuity and maybe at least getting those guys to play together for a half, getting some of those, trying to get some of those cadences down. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't particularly, you know, all smooth. The running game still leaving a lot to be desired right now. They had, you know, Dalvin Cook fumbled. Maybe that took a little bit of the steam out of things. They got Madison going a little bit um, in, in the in that game. But, you know, big picture wise, do you feel like they accomplished what, what they needed to accomplish to feel good about themselves going into this matchup? I, I'll just say they at least got some work. Yeah, because you, you're right. The, the work wasn't always... <laughs> so So no, <laughs> so, that's what you're saying. Well, you want them to look better than that. Yeah, Chicago is a very bad defense. I think we need to keep that in perspective, that even though they win 29-13, to 13, even though uh, it was a comfortable lead at 16-6 to 6 at halftime, this offense wasn't lights out. Um, this was still a group that needed a lot of work together, and they've only got now those two quarters as their longest stretch together. So it's not enough, but it's at least some. Uh, and that's what makes it important work for them together. But that doesn't mean that against Kayvon Thibodeau, Dexter Lawrence, um, Leonard Williams, these guys that the Giants have up front, that's going to be a much, much tougher task and one that they handled better with Brian O'Neill, with Austin Schlotman, both of those guys won't be playing for them on Sunday. Um, it, it's going to be tough. It really is because you did want that run game to look better. I think it was six of Dalvin Cook's 11 runs were two yards or fewer. And only a couple of those were near the line, near the, the goal line uh, in those really short yardage spots. So it's just, it's not been good. And that's the same story through and through. I think I saw some stat too earlier that the Jacksonville Jaguars were the only team that had as many runs stuffed as the Vikings, um, they're not a good power team. They're a finesse offense. And then when you take out those starting finesse players, um, there's just not good players behind them right now. And Ed Ingram is the only guy who's played every snap on that offense this season. And he's probably one of the worst players as a, uh, as a second round rookie. Yeah. I mean, I saw a stat on TV the other night. I'm not sure which game it might've been the, the bears Packers game. I'm not sure which game it was, but the Vikings are, you know, among the the few you know fewest rushing attempts per game in the league, and you know when Mike Zimmer was here, we used to joke around about he, he wants to establish the run, things like that. Kevin O'Connell seems to be at a point where he's just like, we'll try it, but we'll we'll we're a passing team, and we're just we're just not going to mess around with that. the The problem with that is if the Giants know you're going to pass, they can bring a lot of that pressure, and it puts a lot of puts a lot of the impetus on 
Kirk Cousins to get the ball out, puts a lot of impetus on Justin Jefferson to win matchups quickly, and Kevin O'Connell to scheme up things um, that, that they're going to be able to beat them because there is going to be pressure on him. I'm not sure how, how much pressure – I can't remember how much pressure Cousins faced against the Giants in that first matchup, but I imagine there was a, a fair amount of it. It was. I think he took four sacks in that game, and I believe he took 11 hits. Um, and there was just a number of his passes that were batted, too, at the line. Um, yeah, you have to really kind of ride a super thin margin when you're playing against so much pressure because oftentimes there's going to be defenders around your throwing lanes. They're going to be getting their arms up. Um, tip balls can lead to interceptions. As we've seen, the Vikings' turnover luck continued against the Giants uh, in that last matchup. They won that one 2 to nothing. didn't turn the ball over. The Giants, though, have the second-fewest turnovers in the NFL. They, they've won by taking care of the football. And as we've talked about, you and I, I think three weeks ago, playing a similar brand of football as the Vikings, where you want to just kind of play ball control. Um, they're going to run it, obviously, a lot more than the Vikings will. But they want to try to control the ball and play smart and, and take the ball away on defense, even though they give up a ton of yards. So no matter what, I expect this to be another shootout, too. Um, but yeah, against the Giants, it's going to be t- a really tough task because Kirk Cousins was banged up against that Giants defense, much like he's been against a lot of defenses this year. With the with the stuffed runs, I mean, that's been a problem all year long, like you said, and, and again, continued against a Bears team that, again, like you said, it's not very good. Is, th- is there one thing you can point to? Is it the interior getting pushed back? Is it guy, you know, one one missed assignment here and there? How do we how do we kind of characterize why they've had so many running plays that go for either you know, zero yards, negative yards, or you know even those one or two yarders are putting you into a second and long or a third and medium situation that you don't want to be in? I think a lot of people have a hand in that. You know, part of it's O'Connell too. Part of it's not letting this run game get into much of a rhythm, um, and then not maybe knowing too what are the right runs to call in certain situations. Um, he's putting a lot on Kirk's plate too. Kirk can have the option, depending on what he sees, to kill a run or check into a pass, depending on the options he's given at the line of scrimmage, much more than he has in previous years. So sometimes they're not always getting into the right play, even though Kirk has been pretty good with that throughout the year. The biggest problem is what we've talked about. It's it's the offensive line. It's the combinations, new guys getting in there recently. They weren't a great run team in the first 10 weeks of the season, but they were getting the job done, especially in the red zone. They were one of the best red zone offenses in football, in part because they could mix it up a little bit. Alexander Madison was getting early touchdowns. Dalvin Cook was getting some early touchdowns, and that helped that offense kind of maintain itself there in that spot. But recently, that short yardage stuff has completely dried up, and that has been a problem for them because it makes them really one-sided. And now TJ Hawkinson and Justin Jefferson have really become their only options in those areas. Um, It was good to see if you're them. It was good to see Adam Thielen get involved again. If he can become more healthy with that, he's dealt with a knee injury that I think has really limited him and this offense too. So in general, I think they're going to need to find a way to get that run game going, but it's been that offensive line missing blocks, missing combinations. Um, Penalties have set them back as well on offense. So there's a lot of culprits couple more things for you, Andrew, before we finish up. Let's switch to the other side of the ball. I mean, the Giants, you know, moved the ball pretty well against the Vikings in that game. It was, it was the two turnovers, and it was kind of the bend but don't break for the Vikings because, you know, they, they didn't give up a ton of points, at least. It was you know, a relatively high-scoring affair, but it could have been more for the Giants. You got Daniel Jones making his playoff debut. 
You've got a pretty good running game with Saquon Barkley. I mean, the Vikings, you know, trying some different things towards the end of the year. I don't know how well they're working versus how much, you know, how much is how much they're really able to do with kind of the cast of characters they have right now. What would you imagine they're going to try to do when they play the Giants this time around? Yeah, I think they need to get after Daniel Jones one way or another. I think they need to empty their bag of tricks, whichever, however many they've piled up throughout the end of the year. Um, Pat- what if there are no tricks, Andrew? What if there is no bag? <laughs> Patrick Peterson's talked about how uh, Ed's gone back in the lab and, and him and his coaching staff have tried to come up with some ways to pressure the quarterback because as much as they want to be about the four-man rush, it has just not been there consistently. Zadarius Smith had like nine sacks in the first 10 games, and he finished with 10 sacks on the year. Um, the pressures were there, but the sacks were not. Quarterbacks figured out how to get the ball out, how to attack underneath. Um, all of those things just kind of led to the Vikings continually giving up um, so much yardage. And then when Cam Dancer was in there, he was giving up a lot of big plays, which is why you've seen Duke Shelley become that starter. Um, so against Daniel Jones, though, I think you got to be willing to blitz more. you got to be willing to send Harrison Smith, Eric Hendricks, some of these guys that Ed Donatel has preferred to keep back in a lot of his shell defenses and coverages. Um, they blitzed Daniel Jones a little bit more. It was actually their second game of last month where they started kind of ramping up the pressure, and it worked. Daniel Jones, I believe, was pressured almost 40% in that game. Um, he did get some yardage. They did get, give up some big plays. Um, but some of that stuff's like a fourth down run by Saquon Barkley for a touchdown at the end that is rather inexcusable no matter which defense they're playing. And they've been actually pretty good at stopping the run in those spots. Um, it's been the pass that has been really hurting them. So if I'm them, I ramp up that pressure even more and just send every blitz that you got on that call sheet. This isn't so much a uh, film review as much as it is a uh, kind of a a brain review. But as you think about this team right now, they're 13 and four. They're a field goal favorite at home against, you know, a team that's not great. I still sense there's a lot of skepticism about the Vikings and rightfully so. They finished with more points allowed than points scored. I mean, what no 13 and four team in history has obviously ever done that. We have an impression of them as one thing. What do you think they think of themselves as they go into the playoffs right now, do you feel, do you sense a confident team? Do you sense a team kind of searching for itself after some late season hiccups and injuries? Where do you think their heads are at? Well, I think it's different for everybody, but the veterans and leaders of that locker room, um, at least the ones I've spoken to are, are pretty confident in what they're capable of and what they're confident in is, is some of the main components of this offense, which is important and their defense as well. But When you talk about the offense, it's Kirk Cousins uh, who has earned the confidence of that locker room with so many fourth quarter comebacks. It's Kevin O'Connell who's earned the confidence with the same results uh, in time management and all that stuff, even though there was some weird stuff at the end of the first half on Sunday. Um, And then you've also got um, Justin Jefferson, who has he's the youngest player ever to lead the NFL in receptions and receiving yards. Um, That trio has won them a lot of games, a lot of high scoring games at times. And I think that leads them to believe that they can lean on things like Buffalo, um, the greatest comeback of all time, even though it was against the Colts, coming back 33 nothing and a half is remarkable against anybody. Um, these It shows them that they have that potency to them as a team. And we've seen them defensively take the ball away and really wreak havoc when they're playing well, when they're playing great. Um, it hasn't always been there, obviously, but... Um, they can take advantage of lesser quarterbacks when they're playing well. 
and, and offensively that can put up points. So I think they know that and they feel confident going into it. But that doesn't mean that in an honest moment, they wouldn't admit that, hey, with this offensive line that we got going, with some of the guys on defense nursing injuries, it's important to remember Zadarius Smith has been carrying a knee injury with him. He was out for a personal matter this week, but he's been carrying a knee injury with him throughout much of the season. Uh, Harrison Smith was on uh, on the injury report with a neck injury three weeks ago. Eric Kendricks, a hip injury. Um, they've been healthy and available, but just healthy enough to be available. So um, there's there's a lot of questions about this team, and rightfully so. But the belief has come from those 13 wins, and, and I think that's not something to be dismissed. No, it's not, and it's just an interesting way to go into the playoffs. I mean, I it just it feels different from a lot of the you know the Vikings teams that have won the division that have piled up double digit wins. It feels different, like Patrick and Royce and I talked about on Monday's show. Feels different than 2017. Feels different than 2009. Just a different confidence level, different feel in this team. Yet the record is about the same, and anything can happen in the playoffs. So we will see what happens. We're all curious. We're um, Andrew. Ben, a lot of us will be there on Sunday to document it. Um, check it out. Check everything out. Uh, Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. Andrew, thank you as always, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Good stuff from Andrew as always, and I guess this Vikings playoff push comes down to this. Do you trust the offensive line and Kirk Cousins to win multiple games when he is probably going to be under duress? That has not been the recipes for success in the past. And without Brian O'Neill with questions at center, I do wonder if that line and Kirk Cousins, who gets those happy feet, if that is going to hold up. The last regular season version of my least favorite team is my favorite team. Keith Rashad joins me as usual. He's got some Vikings poetry for us. Four Vikings this week. I didn't know that what turned out to be a pretty meaningless game uh, against the Bears would deserve four Vikings, but here we are. Um, sir, how are you? And do you want to just jump into Vaiku number one? That kind of an oxymoronic set of questions, right? Is it? And you're like trying to get into how are you? And do you want to just jump right in? How you do you think you that to... I'm so self-absorbed that my first haiku is about me and how I'm doing? Possible. Well, yeah. Actually. <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> anyway, haiku number one. Okay. Chicago is great. As a city to visit. Not that putrid team. No, I mean, uh, they they had one real goal in mind. And I think they made it pretty clear when they brought in Tim Boyle to replace the already failing Nathan Peterman and had him basically throw a fair catch to Patrick Peterson for an interception. It was pretty clear that they wanted to lose that game to see if maybe they could improve their draft position, which they did. They got the number one pick because Houston wasn't as good at losing as the Bears were. You know what I, I realized? So first of all, I did watch the 45-minute version of the game, right? Smart. The, the quick cut and all that kind of stuff, which was still far too long to spend on yes. that particular football game. Oh, that was just awful. But I realized during the course of watching that game that that, that team has fallen so far off the map. That was the team I hated the most as a kid with, with Mike Ditka and the Super Bowl shuffle oh, yeah. and all that horrible stuff. Oh, I just hated them. Um. But I realize I don't even know who the coach of that stupid team is, right? They've fallen so far off of my radar. I don't I, I don't even know who the coach of a division rival is because they are just that bad and pointless and not worth watching. 
I'm not even going to tell you who the coach is because I don't want to tell you who the coach is of the Bears. Well, I didn't ask to know anyway. So Perfect. We're, we're all we're on even ground here. We are of the same mind that they are terrible. Um, they have the number one pick. I don't know what they're going to do with it, but uh, uh, Royce and I were talking Monday. We I don't really know what to make so much of the NFC North next season right away um, just because a lot is in flux with the Packers potentially the Vikings is our hard team. Oh, is Aaron Rodgers going to make some drama in the offseason? What oh. is it possible? I don't know. Oh, he never does. Th- he never does that. So, but I I think the thing we can all agree on is that the Bears are going to finish fourth. Yeah, the Bears are going to finish fourth next year in the division. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Vikings, right, two, please. Yes, please. Okay. Nathan Peterman dueling with Nick Mullins. That is not football. Well, it was like preseason football, right? It's, the game kind of felt like a preseason game. It just kind of had that energy. Um, you had, you know, the stands were half full. You had guys that you're like, who's who's 82? Who's you know, what not what who's that guy? What number is that? Well, I didn't, I've not, never seen that name before. It was just one of those games where you know, the Vikings still had like something kind of to play for if you really thought the 49ers might lose, but I never thought the 49ers were going to lose to the Cardinals who were also motivated to lose. So it just kind of, it was one of those games that just, you know, it, it, it just didn't feel like much of a game. Well, let me get into Vaiku number three here because it speaks yeah. to that as well. Too. Okay, please do. The Strib game story called the game transactional like a okay yeah um sure i'm not gonna go too deep into that but um the jokes that could be made they could be um trans but transactional is a pretty good um pretty good descriptor of of that game i think it was just kind of like the vikings had some things they wanted to accomplish the bears had some things they wanted to accomplish everybody kind of did the things that they wanted to do to get accomplished. And in the end, everybody went home and kind of forgot about, forgot it really ever happened. My, I think the thing that I'm most looking forward to okay. is it, probably tomorrow, maybe later in the week when I go back and I listen to this podcast, Yeah, uh, whether or not that third one is beeped or not. <laughs> I'm trying to decide right now in my head if it is or not, how much of that makes it in or not. We'll see. We'll see. I, I don't know. I don't know about that. We'll see. Number four. Okay. Number four. Live your life with joy. Don't live with spite for others, except the Packers. Yeah. So what happened with that game is I, I watched a lot of it, but you know we got kids, bedtime routine, stuff like that. So it was like kind of in the middle of middle of that, and it was sixteen thirteen. I was like, you know what? It really doesn't matter all that much to me who wins this game. You know, it's not even if the Packers would have got in, you know, the chances of them playing the Vikings in the playoffs were pretty slim because it wouldn't have been till the NFC title game. And that would mean both teams had won a couple of games, which would seem a little bit improbable on the face of it. But when I did go and check the score later and went to ESPN and saw Lions eliminate Packers on late Aaron Rodgers interception, I was not altogether unhappy. <laughs> I kind of had the perfect night last night, right? Because I had my old man hockey league. Right. So I went to my old man hockey league. Our team, to be frank about, is not that good. Okay. We we have have Chicago Bears of old man hockey. 
Well, we're not that bad. You're playing right, for first, we, playing for the number one pick. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. I don't, uh, we're not that great. However, we strung together a, a very good game, and we managed to win. Okay. And in the course of our winning, I managed to score a hat trick, right? Including quite possibly the most beautiful backhand shot I've ever made in my entire life. Okay. Just I picked a corner. It was beautiful, right? Okay. But because because I am in this league that consists of men of a certain age, yes. the start times for the games are a little later at night, mm-hmm. right? We don't get the prime ice time, believe it or not. Yeah. And so went to the game, uh, our team that normally doesn't win, wins i had a very good game personally and then i walked out of the game and i checked the espn app mm-hmm. and i saw the final score and it was just like wow this is just a really nice delightful night where a lot of good things all just kind of happened at the same time and so now it, it's kind of nice it's not it's not equivalent but it's nice to see the packers have their their nathan pool moment right as yes. it were yes and and not quite the same thing because that was so dramatic and and last second and what have you. But to to have a home game with your team rolling, with your MVP All Star quarterback doing his arrogant thing, and it's like, oh, I predicted this a month ago. I laid it out in my mind, and and I you know I manifested it because after some ayahuasca, I I knew I could see the future or whatever right. it is that he's saying nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to to have it all just fall flat, just a, a beautiful thing to see happen. It, it was, and you know, it was, you know, ultimately turned out to be pretty much the worst case scenario for the Packers, right? Like they were bad. So, you know, they were, they were bad. So everything, everything that they'd hoped would happen this year wasn't happening, but then they got kind of good just at a point where they might've been turning to see if they had anything in this Jordan love character or not, but because they never were officially eliminated from the playoffs, they never really played love in any really meaningful time but then they miss the playoffs anyway, so they get a, a bad, you know, like a 15th pick. They don't make the playoffs. They don't learn anything about Jordan Love, and now they're just a year a year down the road with uh, all this cap space still devoted to Aaron Rodgers, and nothing good happened for them really this year. Which is beautiful. From the NFL to college, let's finish with the cooler. Georgia <clears throat> absolutely destroys TCU 65-7 to in the college football playoff championship game on Monday night. Got to be honest, like I said at the jump, I did not watch a ton of college football this season. It's just I don't know. Something about college football right now is just kind of bothering me. The inequality, the inequity between the very, very best teams and then the next tier, then the next tier, then the next tier. Not necessarily saying this is accelerated by transfer portal and, you know, name, image, likeness kind of stuff, but maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know what it is that's bothering me, but I was struck by it when, you know, not too long after the game ended, Paul Rovnack, who does a great job uh, with communications, head of communications for Gophers Athletics, tweeted, congrats to Georgia on repeating as national champions, the last team to win three straight national titles, the Minnesota Golden Gophers, who were crowned national champions in 1934, 1935, and 1936. Yes, a long time ago, a much different era in college football, a much different time in the evolution of our world. But still, can you imagine the Gophers even competing for a national championship these days? I know the 12-team playoff that might be coming down the pike will give them a chance to at least get into that conversation. But can you really imagine Minnesota being among the elite of the elite, competing with a team like Georgia, 
competing with teams, you know, in that echelon, Alabama. I just can't. I can't imagine a future where that happens. Maybe you have to be okay with that. Maybe you have to kind of suspend your disbelief with college football and say, you know what, you got to be happy with whatever level of success you can achieve. But you know, Purdue, which won the Big Ten West, got hammered sixty-three to seven by LSU in the in the uh, in the in the bowl game this year. That's how much of a difference there is between some of these teams. Not even the very best of the very best. Purdue beat Minnesota this year. LSU lost fifty to thirty to Georgia. Like there's such a gap between these teams, and it just bothers me. It, it bothers me in baseball when there's no when we don't when you don't feel like there's a level playing field, and it bothers me especially in college football that it just does not feel like there is a platform to compete at the highest level maybe some of that will change in the future but for right now it just does not feel like college football is in a place where more than a handful of teams every year have a real chance at a championship and that is not a good model for a sport That'll do it for me today. Lavelle E. Neal III, columnist from the Star Tribune, will join me on Wednesday show to talk all things Vikings, maybe to little Carlos Correa talk as well. Um, until then, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. I'm Michael Rand, back at it again tomorrow.